Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This podcast. Track Check This Podcast, and today I've got my buddy Steve. Steve is going to introduce himself, give a little bit of his libertarian background. Steve comes from the Peddling Fiction Group, that uh, where a lot of my guests tend to come from. <laughs> we, uh, we have a really fun group over there. If you don't know about the Peddling Fiction Podcast, definitely check it out. Check out the YouTube group or the uh, Facebook group and try to get in on some of the stuff that we've got going on over there. We do fun meme streams, and we used to do video calls and stuff, like, almost on a weekly basis, so we, we really need to – I'd like to get the group back into that. But Johnny still does a bi-weekly happy hour with some of the top fans from the YouTube – or from the Facebook group, plus uh, my contributors to the show and stuff like that. So, Steve, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to libertarianism, and then we'll jump into it. Hey, yeah, um, so I'm, I'm- – Steve, I'm, I've kind of hooked up with Justin through the Peddling Fiction group there. Um, as far as my introduction to really liberty and libertarianism, I was never that big into politics too much. I had kind of some opinions. I was maybe like, I would have considered myself like center left if you really were like trying to push me on stuff. But then um, maybe around 2011, um, 2012, I was, I was starting to see some of the Ron Paul stuff and, and I remember like seeing some of the memes and seeing some of the stuff that, that he was, um, talking about and I wasn't that big into politics, but I knew enough that I didn't want to vote for Obama and I didn't want to vote for Romney <laughs> and, and, um, some of the stuff that, that Ron Paul was saying was making sense. And then I, I kind of was seeing some of the stuff that Rand was doing where it was like the big one was that uh, huge filibuster that he did. Uh, I believe it was Brennan's nomination for director of the CIA uh, because they, uh, the Justice Department was basically saying that they had the authority to drone strike citizens uh non-combatants on american soil without without charges or without a trial and and so Rand paul was kind of like uh no <laughs> we we still have due process and uh basically was was filibustering this nomination in an effort to get uh holder to admit that no we can't drone strike uh, non-combatant citizens without charges on u.s soil and that, that was kind of wild where it was uh, stepping back and being like, we, we, this is a question. <laughs> we, we've gotten to the point where, uh, you know, we need somebody filibustering this to, to really do that. And, uh, yeah, from there, I, I, you know, I liked some of the stuff that Rand did and, and just kind of started diving deeper into the libertarian rabbit hole. And kind of from there on, I've always considered myself a, a libertarian um in the past it's just been a little tough to to uh get in line with the party given given some of the lackluster messaging and candidates but i think i think that ship's turning around a little bit and and uh libertarian party is going to really be a home for libertarians again so i consider myself maybe uh on the minarchist side of things where um you know maybe uh courts courts police fire but even then too i could i could maybe be convinced of privatizing most of that stuff anyways <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, pretty pretty big on the minarchist side and and i usually don't try to have uh too many of those those debates with like minarchism versus anarchism because honestly i feel like if we got to either of those we're 
we're uh, are getting to the real details at that point. <laughs> to show what a consummate professional I am, I did not actually charge my headphones, so I had to drop them. <laughs> okay. No worries. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just with, to uh, completely take a, a podcasting aside, it's amazing how frequently even some of the ones who are like super professional that do this like on a weekly basis and have for literally years will like I'll get I'll get the video and at the intro of the video they'll be talking about how they just spent the last 10 minutes talking and having this excellent conversation and they forgot to hit record (laughs) (laughs) so so I I don't feel too bad when I screw up because I know that uh, it happens regularly so we will uh on that topic we will steer away from anarchism and minarchism and the difference in those things and we'll talk about something that you are a uh, a big advocate for and like to talk about and that is guns and uh so number one do you keep up to uh, very much with some of the stuff going on in the news and the fact that the the supreme court is actually taking up a second amendment case from new york have you seen uh, that i'm I try and step with the news pretty uh, consistently. Um, the New York one, I, I'm not in. I might have heard of that. What is what is the New York one on? Is that like an assault weapons? It's um, yes, yeah, sort of, kind of. It's uh, gosh. Now, of course, I would say it and then completely uh, blank <laughs> out on it. Yeah, it's a, an assault weapons. It's a it's kind of a general weapons ban that uh, New York had, and it had gotten uh, it had been contested, and now it's actually going to the Supreme Court. Uh, it had, I think, if I recall correctly, it had never it it, uh, it got like it got a stay put on it while okay. they uh, considered whether or not to take it to the Supreme Court, and it it kind of looks like it's going to be a slam dunk for second amendment advocates. Uh, yeah. That's awesome to see. I, I know I, I was just seeing too, how um, California had, well, I, I don't know if I'd be a little bit reluctant to call it a big win. Cause it's still they're They're not quite to the finish line yet, but uh, they had that, that ruling in their favor, basically uh, over striking the assault weapons ban there. And then right now they're in the stages of, um, I, I can't remember when the go live date is, but there's a certain amount of, of grace period for the uh, like California government to try and appeal it um, to a higher court, which I'm sure they're going to try and do. But we'll see if, I don't know if they hear it or they slap it down, but that one was a, a big win too, or at least pushed in the right direction. Okay, so... Uh- I pulled it up real quick. That that one, so yeah, that one was specifically, the one in California was specifically with assault. Uh, it was like an assault weapons ban. And that yep. one got struck down, which is pretty surprising, consider it's California. But I've heard good things about that that judge who, uh, who struck it down, um, at least in, in terms of the firearm thing. I think he was also the one who, uh, have you ever heard of... Uh, Californians will refer to it as Freedom Week. Uh-uh. They had uh, apparently one week where uh, the uh, uh, magazine capacity limit was gone. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like uh, they had one week where, where people were like spending like hundreds and hundreds of dollars in, in magazines buying stuff for like guns they didn't have because that was their their one chance, their freedom week to get, get magazines. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so I found it real quick while you were, while we were uh, kind of going. The, uh, the New York case is a law that restricts an individual from carrying a concealed handgun in public. Uh, okay. So th- effectively, this New York law would ban concealed carry entirely. And it had gotten uh, it had gotten appealed a couple times, and now it's going to actually make it all the way to the Supreme Court. So, and, and it seems like a, uh, I mean, most Second Amendment uh, advocates seem to consider it a pretty a pretty solid slam dunk that this will be a uh, a good benchmark Second Amendment Supreme Court ruling. And 
I'm I, I personally am surprised that they took it up because there have been just like slews of Second Amendment cases over the years that have been put up for consideration by the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has just summarily refused to take any of them on, like oh. at any point. Which, which I mean, I don't know how you feel about the Supreme Court, but I kind of view it as a uh, pretty, pretty much a board of pussies that don't want to actually rule on anything <laughs> that's going to be. Uh, inflammatory yeah. or or confrontational in any way like they try to stay out of the they try to stay out of the stuff that's actually important because if push comes to shove like <clears throat> none of them actually have the balls to put their neck on the line and take a firm position on anything like they they want to be as milk toast as possible in that job yeah i'd i'd, I'd agree with you there and uh, it seems like they're really hesitant to wade into anything at all. It can be somewhat controversial or, you know, if they take something up, usually it's, or a lot of the times it'll be a very, very clear case. And I think at least with the Supreme Court that we have now, um, you know, I'm not sure if that's going to change too much over the years um, in terms of their opinion for who you have on. But I think part of it is going to shift in that Overton window of, um of allowable opinion and and where the consensus is at to get them to take on maybe some cases that were uh, formerly controversial and not so much anymore. Well, and I don't know if you've, if you've paid much attention to it, but here over the last month or two, um, there have been a couple of Supreme court decisions that have actually gone in the opposite direction of what you would expect with a, you know, a conservative majority, uh, Kavanaugh and, and, uh, oh gosh, what was the first one that Trump appointed? Gorsuch? Gorsuch? Oh uh, yeah. Neil, Neil Gorsuch. Yeah. Yeah. Gorsuch. However you pronounce his damn name. Uh, I, I probably butchered it. <laughs> I think you probably got closer than I did. Uh, Neil, but, we'll just call him Neil. Yeah. That <laughs> Trump's first appointment. So those two have, uh, actually gone in uh, contrary directions uh, as opposed to what, what you would expect the uh, a conservative majority to go. And, and there's been a lot of research on it. Like Kavanaugh has been bad. I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Kavanaugh has been bad. And as far as for, for anybody who championed that as a win for conservatives, he has been bad. Like, yeah, they're, they're probably kind of having some regrets about uh, letting the whole uh, uh, the way the left went after him kind kind of fall apart. Like they they might they might be having some second guessing on on letting him get in because he has not been good. He he pretty well pretty well he goes with the majority on everything, regardless of what it is. If it goes right. He goes right. If he goes left, he goes left. Like he is just as uh, he goes with whatever direction the wind blows him, and that that is, I mean, yeah. Well, I, I think it's I think it too is like a lot of a lot of what politics has turned into nowadays, where it became all about the accusations, and no one really actually talked about his positions, and and it turned into is, is it a win for Team D or a win for Team R based on based on the accusation type of thing, getting this guy in versus, you know, what is his, his actual positions? Is this going to be a, a win for liberty, whether you view it on the Democrat side or the Republican side, you know, what you personally view as liberty? And, man, I, I didn't hear much of that conversation, if any. None, none at all. And, and which, I mean, you and I both know it doesn't matter which side of the aisle they're on, you know, Democrat <laughs> or Republican, they don't actually care about liberty. And I, I mean, that we're, we're kind of derailing this away from what we were going to initially <laughs> talk about, but, but uh, like, like, I think that's a big, uh, that's a big sticking point that really gets to me is the frequency with which people are only concerned about, is it a win for team R or is it a win for team D? And they refuse to actually look at, any of the any of the stats any of anything that backs up what that person 
actually votes for, votes on, what they stand for, what they stand against. Like it, it's a it's a net loss regardless of who wins because at that point nobody cares about what the actual policies are. The only thing they care about is is it a Republican or is it a Democrat? And yeah. and more often than not, it doesn't matter which one they are. They're fucking horrible. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that is is a uh, either a byproduct or a feature of, of trying to push these people um, when the nomination process comes around. If it's just kind of uh, that's where the conversation naturally goes to, or if there might be a little uh, gamesmanship to steer the conversation on 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 that front. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, it's man, it's the way politics are being played these days. Like it's yeah. it doesn't n- none of the particulars matter anymore. It's all about us versus them, my team versus your team. Um, well, speaking speaking of nominations and maybe to, <laughs> to tie back around a little bit, do you think the Waco kid is going to get in? I've seen enough of that. Um, yes, yeah, I don't think – I mean, from either the Republicans or the Democrats, who's going to actually oppose that? Like well, other than maybe other than maybe Rand and Massey, yeah. like who, who's actually gonna say no? We don't want this guy. Like, and and I think if you've heard uh, Scott Horton talk about it, like he's not the guy in the picture, you know. But well, yeah, but yeah, he but... had a he had a very major role in the aftermath of Waco and the yes. way that he the... was a he was a big part of the prosecution, yeah. right? And to me regardless if he was on the ground or not, I would think that that would have been disqualifying or somebody would have at least asked him some questions on that. And no one even brought it up at all. I, I was surprised to see that. I thought somebody would have, would have. Right. The way the prosecution in that was handled was, I, I mean, they treated those people like subhumans basically in the way they handled all of that. I mean, and that, that's probably putting it, putting it nicely. And yeah, I mean, there is no nobody on either the right or the left gives two shits about that. Like as far as all of them are concerned, Waco was a win for the government. I mean, that's unfortunately, unfortunately, that's probably the way most Americans feel. Like other than people who run in our type of circles that have actually spent time looking at and researching and understand what the scenario was and what actually happened. Like the average person considers that a win for America and thinks that uh, the Branch Davidians was some sort of like weird sex cult that needed to be cleansed from the face of the earth. And, and it doesn't matter if they're right or left. They, they probably think that, which is, which and, is a and, shame. And just one example too of it, it goes to show how willingness to lie or the willingness to lie about it um, and just straight up bend the facts and the truth um, was, I don't know if you saw when, when Chipman was doing a, a Reddit AMA and somebody asked him about 50 cals and, and he said, well, I think they should be banned because the branch Davidians used 50 cals at Waco to shoot down helicopters. And, and it, it was, it was just such a, an, out there amazing lie that he just threw out there like so i don't know if he th- he thought people weren't going to verify this or they were like taking on face value or figured most people wouldn't look but it was uh, <laughs> just the uh willingness to throw out such an amazing lie like that was yeah, just goes to show you what how although color the color the truth and the facts the fact that it's 30 years later and there's enough evidence out there to not just like not just argue against that, but to completely disprove that. And that they still double down on that as like an official stance is absolutely insane. But but I mean that that goes to the nature of government in and of itself. Like they don't have to tell the truth because they trust that people are stupid enough that no one is going to actually take the time to do any level of research to, to say that they're wrong. Uh, I mean, the thing that we were actually going to talk about was guns and how frequently do you see politicians get up there and just spout off complete nonsense about guns that anybody who's even, you know, held a gun knows 
okay, that's complete and total bullshit. But, you know, the average person who doesn't know anything about guns and doesn't want anything to do with guns is terrified of guns and thinks that there's some horrible, you know, scary thing. They're not going to put any effort into researching that. They're just going to take, because this is, you know, this is our trusted politician. He's, he or she are the ones that are, you know, they're the ones that we picked to take care of us and to protect us. They're going to take it at face value and they're not going to do any level of research on it. Yep. So, so that gets us back to the topic (laughs) that we were going to talk about to begin with. So Steve, tell us all about guns. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll I'll preface this by saying that, that I'm not claiming to be an expert or or then uh, I'll be all knowledge on on the topic. I I'm just a, a gun nerd um, who who's a mechanical engineer and I love guns and I love history. So I just try learning as much about guns as I can just because that's a topic that interests me. So. Uh, this is maybe some stuff on on uh, more of a basic level, so I guess we could start off with like you know people out there who are maybe new libertarians or or uh, with all the stuff that's been going on like first time gun buyers what what might be a good decision for them in this day and age? If we... Yeah, yeah. And so, do you have kids? Not to get too personal, like if you don't want to answer, just say something. <laughs> nope, nope, I do not. Nope. <laughs> okay, so I was gonna say so. So I have kids, and I got my I got my kids started shooting uh, literally as soon as they were big enough to hold the gun. I I should have got them out before we started this, but and then at the same time, I don't necessarily want to uh, display my entire arsenal on the on a video <laughs> that's going to go on YouTube. But so we have a little twenty two, a little Henry twenty two repeater, you know, the little Elmer Fudd gun, and. It's, I mean, it's small. It's, you know, that big, maybe. And super lightweight. Plus, it's a 22. So it does not kick at all. And literally, as soon as my kids were big enough to put enough pressure on the trigger to make it fire, I would stand with them or I would kneel and have them stand. And, you know, we'd put it up on their shoulder and get their arm up there. And I would help them hold it and balance it. And I would have them pull the trigger and, help them cock because they weren't strong enough to cock it at the time but you know i would help them cock it and let them take some shots with this little 22 so they got comfortable with holding a gun pulling a trigger you know even though it doesn't kick for an adult it still has enough of a pop that you know a five six year old can feel it and you get used to the feel of a gun and i my son's a crack shot now i take him hunting with me every year and uh my daughter is she hasn't gotten anything hunting yet but every time we go out like if we don't see anything we're when we're getting ready to come back in from the woods she's like all right i want to shoot i just want to shoot for you know i just want to shoot a tree over there or something like she wants to (laughs) she wants to shoot and you know my kids aren't scared of guns they're used to using them uh so talk about yeah talk about like maybe what you think as far as good starter guns and and stuff because there are a lot of people in the libertarian movement who as odd as it may sound don't have any experience with guns yeah like they so came to libertarianism through drugs uh you know the drug war stuff or opposing foreign wars and they may not they may not be super into the second amendment stuff but they're starting to get there and now they have questions <laughs> yeah so i guess I, I would i would start off from the aspect of um asking yourself what do i want to utilize this for which is a big question so um like maybe you want something that that's kind of an shtf type of thing or maybe it's it's home defense um or, or maybe it's to be able to do um some hunting or it could just be you're, you're looking to start getting into target shooting and i think asking yourself which of those areas um, you want to really get into or, or what this is for is a big part, or maybe it's a combination of some of those. Um, so I think probably number one most common is, is probably like home defense. Um, and, and for me, I think one of the, the major points to start off with that is uh, ask, ask people around you who, who, you trust um, and value their opinions uh, on some stuff. Uh, do not go into a major gun store 
and <laughs> take the take the clerk's attendance word as as gospel uh, because you will end up uh, potentially buying something that is not going to fit well is not going to be useful is just not not a good decision whatsoever i uh, just an example i was at a uh, gun store that i will not name uh and and they were selling a semiotic semi-auto uh 22 magnum and i was you know i, I was looking at potentially a, a, a 22 magnum pistol and and the the guy was uh telling me about it and and he was like oh yeah some Sometimes it, it, it tends to jam, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's a it's 22, 22 mag, that semi-auto, that's that's what they do. And he's like, yeah, but it's great for, it, you could actually use this for, for self-defense. And it's like, prone to jamming, not <laughs> not not in my criteria. If, if this if the gun is prone to jamming, you just throw it out right away as, as far as a self-defense choice. But it's kind of stuff like that where... Um, you want to do your own research and, and talk to some people you trust to, to get their opinions. I don't know that I would consider a twenty two handgun to be a good self-defense gun in any scenario. Like that, no. That's something that you, you throw the clip in and you see how fast you could drop the clip when you're playing around just out shooting or something. Like that's yeah. I, I just I don't I don't view that as a uh, no. as a solid self-defense type of a gun anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of stuff like that where more uh yeah it's good to get opinions but but uh uh what was it reagan who said trust but verify <laughs> well uh, so like uh my most recent purchase the it's a it's a rifle and the guy who i got it from uh it was it was heavier than what he was expecting and he has shorter arms uh and so it didn't didn't fit his frame real well yep. and I, I'm six five. I don't have any problem with short arms. Uh, so like, the gun fits perfectly for me, and yep. and for my frame, it doesn't feel very heavy because I I'm tall enough and I'm long enough that I can support it well. And that's one of those things too that I, I think people may not put into consideration is when you are picking a gun, like you need to hold it. You. Yes, you absolutely. Don't, you you need to go to a, a gun store. You need to be able to, you know, put this in your hand and verify how it fits you. Because like you were saying, like like that handgun right there fits my hand a lot differently than it fits my wife's hand. It yep. fits a, my hand a lot differently than my dad's handgun or my brother's handgun. Like, you know, we, we're all relatively close to the same size, but our hands are built different. My, my brother has much longer, skinnier fingers. My dad's hand is a lot thicker. Like the way our guns fit our hands are, they're all a lot different. And so if you're not verifying that stuff, like you're, if you see something online and you're like, oh yeah, I saw really good reviews on that. I'm going to get that gun. You get that gun and it may not fit you. Like yeah, it, and it, the, it's, as, it's as much as buying clothes is a fit. Buying a gun is a fit. Yep. And the thing that you can always do too is, is, is if you see a good price online on something, a lot of the times you can go to a store and they have it in person and, you know, they'll take it out and hand it to you um, and, and you can see how it feels and, and handle it a little bit and, and then just hand it back to them and then go home and, and make your purchase <laughs> uh, off the internet to ship to an FFL uh, if, if you got a better price there. So Right. That's, I, I, uh, that, that's something that, I really feel is not taken into consideration enough is that, you know, there is no one size fits all with any gun. Like they, it is a very much a personalized decision. Like you'll see people, uh, especially on Twitter, like people will be bad mouthing certain guns. It may not be the greatest gun for a gun nut, but for somebody who's never had a gun that just needs something to learn and practice with, it might yeah. be the right fit, but it, it's what gets them, you know, it's what gets them to learn how to handle a gun. Like it, I, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like uh, if if it's uh, a gun that's not going to malfunction and um, ergonomically it, it fits you well, the only real difference when you're talking in the uh, real high-end stuff versus like the mid-tier stuff is 
if you're getting to be like a competition shooter or somebody who is like very proficient for, for basic people, I mean, you're much better off buying something cheaper and using that cost difference to pay for ammo and training than you are, um, like say, if I'm, if I'm looking at like a Glock or like an FN 5.7, <laughs> you know, right. like, uh, like get the Glock. Kind of, kind of thing. Start, start off there, and then you know, maybe, maybe once you put in a lot of time and effort and get get into some of the weird niche stuff, then maybe it's time to really spring for the high end. Right, and so, so how would you? Let's see. How do I want to word this? How would you particularly uh, categorize the different types of firearms? So, like we were talking about handguns for you know self-defense type things and then uh so then what would be some of the other like categories that you would break guns down into because like everybody knows of of hunting like hunting guns but you know there are depending on the state you live in like like kentucky uh rifles are illegal for hunting deer and and larger game and stuff like that but like here in indiana it has to be shotgun with slugs uh what is it like where you are? Um, we have, a, I, and I may be getting this wrong, and, and somebody <laughs> might, might uh, see this and, and cringe because I might be getting this wrong, but I believe in the, some of the southern parts of the state, it's, it's uh, shotgun slug only. Now, I may be incorrect on that, um, but I, in the areas that I generally hunt in, um, it's very wooded. So, you know, we have our are um it's basically two weeks with three weekends of uh regular rifle season and then we have a a weekend of muzzleloader and and kind of archery starting before the rifle season kind of in uh mid-september and then running until um after rifle season well into the point where no one wants to be out in the cold <laughs> uh so that that sounds that's a very similar to uh, the way Kentucky kind of breaks down it's uh they have archery and then muzzle loading and then it goes into rifle season and the rifle season runs through uh basically most of November like the first from the first weekend of November through uh usually through Thanksgiving and then after that it, it goes into uh it goes back into archery and then uh so but yeah but like here in Indiana uh, so I do all I do all of my uh like deer hunting in Kentucky because I, I grew up on a big farm and we've got, a, a, you know, we got plenty of farm ground there and I can go down and just hunt wherever. And uh, I know the area and don't have to worry about any of the BS or tags or stuff like that. Yep. Like I can just go hunt. But like here in Indiana, it's, it's a lot more strict and, uh, and it has to be shotguns with the slugs and they're more restrictive on that stuff. So I, I just don't even mess with it here. Like the, yeah, well, the I, I, I saw too, there's some areas where they'll do like pistol only and, and I'm not sure, uh, <laughs> how that works. If there's like some people who are just pulling out their like uh pistol, uh, caliber like the, AR. <laughs> I like the, uh, yeah. the, the long barrel revolver with the scope on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know so if I would want to deer hunt with a pistol hunt. Not with, not with that one anyway. Yeah. No. <laughs> But I guess uh, you were mentioning kind of categories of guns and, and how I would make maybe break stuff into, and I guess I would I would kind of sort things into almost, when it comes to handguns, kind of two categories of handguns, um, like maybe uh, a target shooting or home defense category and a concealed carry category. Yeah. Um, I, I usually view those as kind of two separate things, um, but I know there's people who will get, get one that can kind of do both the hybrid a little bit. Um, then there's, I would say, uh, kind of like a, a mid range AR, you know, sporting rifle, uh, kind of thing that you'd have like your AK, your AR, your mini 14, that kind of stuff in. And then, you know, hunting rifles, I would, I would throw in like your bolt actions, like your Henry levers, your, 45 70s all that all that fun stuff and then 
kind of like your longer range, maybe um, DMR type stuff where like AR-10s um, and maybe SCARs and, and, and 308 or like an XCR and like a 308, that kind of thing where it, it, it can definitely reach out to those ranges, but it's not like a, maybe necessarily a, um, like a Ruger precision. It was like a, like a sniper rifle type thing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kind of that, that bridge between the mid tier, um, like 500 yard rifles, um, kind of filling that role between that, like 500 to to 1000 type of range where they can reach out there if you want, but it's not necessarily like a Ruger precision type of thing or like a, uh, Daniel defense. I know they came out with a pretty, pretty incredible, uh, uh, precision bolt action rifle. Uh, Mr. Guns and Gear was doing a review on that one. And that was <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible. And so was the price tag. And that kind of stuff, I, I think that kind of stuff falls more into like a, like a sport type shooting sort of a, a gun oh. or a, or a hobby type thing. Cause like if it's fairly wooded where you are and like, even where I am, even if I'm on one of our bigger fields with lots of open ground in front of me, the longest shot I would even consider taking is maybe 150 to 200 yards. Like, I'm not, you know, you get past that, there's too many hills and tree lines, and, like, you're getting out into, uh, you know, unrealistic ranges that... Yeah, the the only time you would ever see a shot like that hunting... Um, around where I'm at or where I hunt is if you're hunting a power line <laughs> and then that's it if you're on a power line there's a chance that you might have enough flat ground to, to be able to see that kind of a shot but yeah most of the time it's it's under 100 and some people will be running <laughs> you know 15 power scopes <laughs> with a with like less than a hundred yard shot and that kind of thing. Oh, and then the other two categories, I guess I, I didn't touch were obviously like shotguns and then um, pistol caliber carbines. Um, so uh, nowadays you're seeing more and more like Ruger makes a nice uh, pistol caliber carbine uh, in nine mil. That's I, like I've actually got on. one of those. I, re- I really like it. Yep. And then, you know, at all kinds of different brands are making um, ARs in nine. And you're seeing, you'll see some 10 mil and some 45s out there too, which which I think are pretty cool, maybe pretty fun. The the one thing that I would maybe caution people a little bit on those pistol caliber carbines with uh, in in an AR platform, some of those do not have a last round bolt hole open, um, so it's something to be aware of if you're like, especially if you've been running an AR and you're so used to having that last round bolt hole open. It's just a standard feature, and then you buy your pistol caliber carbine, and and you're like, oh, it's great. It's gonna be just like an AR, and then it doesn't have the last round bolt hold hold open. It could be um, maybe not the end of the world, but <laughs> something that might be a big disappointment to you if you're not uh, aware of of what that one does. Yeah. So okay, so let's get because like the big argument from the. Uh, the anti-gun folks who obviously don't know a fucking thing about guns is... Is it the the AR is not effective or it's too effective or both? (laughs) That you don't need that for hunting. Well, like, obviously, I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody is ever even making the argument that you need that for hunting. Yeah, it's a a very clear attempt at strawmanning the argument of, of what it is and trying to shift it into this other little area of what what are what is or isn't needed for hunting and it's it's like that was never the that's not the debate that never was the debate <laughs> right. that's that's not the conversation yeah the second amendment had absolutely nothing to do with hunting that's yeah, <laughs> yeah and then some people will will kind of take the bait and be like oh look at all these people that use it for hunting it it certainly is an effective hunting rifle and it can be depending on what you're hunting but it's like why why even take the debate and try and argue with them on that is that a real thing do people actually use ars for hunting so like well like uh, hogs like for instance oh okay for hogs uh coyotes is probably another one 
you'll, you'll run a lot of those like super fast, smaller grain cartridges for coyotes. Okay. Yeah. And some I, I people... can see that. I was going to say like, if you're hunting, you know, if you're hunting some medium to big, bigger game, like. Yeah. Some people will use of... larger grain stuff for whitetail and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, if you're running some of those like large, like 75, 80, 80 grain rounds, like, yeah, maybe, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if I would uh, say it's a, a great idea personally, just my it's, personal opinion. I mean, I've got a bolt action single shot and I never have a problem. Like if, if by some chance I miss with the first, I, I'm a quick enough reload that I'm going to get the second off. Like, it's not like I need a semi-automatic to, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm a little more practiced than than some of the average gun idiots, but like that just, it, that's never occurred to me as even being something of a, of a necessity in any way for, for that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it comes more down to as far as, is just the, the capabilities of the cartridge in terms of what, what kind of bullet weight you're pushing out and what you feel comfortable enough yeah. with uh, hunting. That makes to sense. To me that, yeah, and to me the two two three five five six just it you can hunt deer with it, and and certainly if uh, it was like an end of the world type of situation where you're trying to like feed your family, yeah, excellent choice. <laughs> but in terms of just like an, an average everyday hunt, I, I would opt for uh, a, you know more of a traditional hunting cartridge. So, and too, if that's the that's the route you want to go, there's tons of deals on, uh, uh, you know, cheap bolt actions in 308 or 30-06, or stuff used stuff in, in stores that you can find find deals on too. And a lot of those guns, there's there's nothing wrong with them. They're they're great shooting. They're a lot. You most of the time, especially for like new shooters, um, the gun's accuracy is not the limiting factor. <laughs> So uh, that's one other thing to keep in mind, I guess. Uh, don't be so focused on, uh, especially the bolt action guns, is is the accuracy of it. Unless you're to that point where you've got a little bit of practice in and and kind of know uh, what your capabilities are versus what the gun is. Right, and so so talk about that because because that's something that uh, for new gun users, I don't think some of the safety practice like some of the just just I don't know like I started hunting when I was in second or third grade with my dad like I've been around guns literally my entire life um so that stuff all just kind of is second nature for someone like me and I'm sure you know to some extent for you but like for mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't have any experience with guns or or not much anyway and they're still kind of new to this like talk about some of the some of the gun safety basics some of the stuff that like you need to understand about handling a gun uh, you know taking care of a gun shooting a gun practice you know just sort of the, yeah. the general ideas behind being a responsible gun owner yeah so so i guess uh the the most important thing i would always start off with that to me is is the rule number one of safety because you will never shoot yourself or somebody if you at least follow this rule you follow all of them but this one to me is, is why it's most important is like always keep your muzzle in a safe direction and that believe it or not it, it takes practice um you need to handle guns for a little bit um before you really kind of have have that down and, and that concept of where should it always be pointing and with rifles and shotguns, it, it comes a little more uh, easy with, with not as much practice. Handguns is kind of a different story. Uh, the first time somebody picks up a handgun, they really need to be concentrated on, I'm, I'm pointing it in this direction deliberately. I, I know why I'm pointing it there and I'm focused on keeping it pointed in that direction. Um, I, I think that's number one. And that just... You know, a lot of it comes with, with just paying attention and, and practice, honestly. Um, but I think that's probably, number one, like one of the biggest things. And then, you know, the, the other 
kind of safety rules that you treat every gun as if it were loaded and <laughs> keep your finger off the trigger uh, until you're ready to fire. That's another big one. Yeah, the um, number one thing that my dad always, always impressed on us was you treat every gun like it's loaded. Even though, it, like, in our house growing up, none of the guns were actually loaded in the house. You treated yeah. every gun like it was. And and as an adult, like, all of mine are always loaded. And yeah. that's, you know, that's always a big thing that I've always impressed on the kids is, you you know, you do not mess with these guns. They are all loaded and they will always be loaded and you should always treat them like they're loaded. And a funny thing about that. So to, to kind of derail a little bit, like we used to be, we used to have our bedroom down in the basement and uh, all of my guns were in the closet, just in the closet. At, at that time, I didn't have a good gun safe for everything. Uh, it was early on after I'd gotten divorced and I just had everything in the closet and we'd have friends over and stuff and all the kids would go downstairs and they would play down there because it's cool and it's big open space and nobody ever messed with a gun ever once. Like, yep. <laughs> and like they would be in our closet playing hide and seek and nobody ever messed with a gun because my kids knew all of these guns are loaded. And if you see anybody going around the guns, you stay away. Like that's, you know, rule number one. And, and that's always, you know, something that, that comes from these, uh, super you know gun control nuts is how dangerous guns are especially for kids like i got a house full of kids and have had additional kids here on multiple occasions all right there like literally in the same room with the guns and never have even had you know anybody pick one up much less anything happen with them like it's yeah and i i think that's one of the biggest things too is like um know who's who's in your home and, and you know have that conversation with your family on like hey this these are the right procedures don't don't touch it <laughs> um this is where everything is it, it and uh don't pick it up or go handling it and maybe uh if if uh you have somebody over and and have something that's not secured you know maybe don't let them in that area <laughs> depending on on who it is but yeah, have that conversation with them, and and the the whole safe thing too is is not just a good idea as far as like securing them, but also too I think one of the big things is storage and keeping them in a uh, dry environment. So you can buy uh, portable dehumidifiers to to throw into safes, and I think that's one of the biggest advantages to having a safe. Or you can buy. Um, the little like silica gel packets you can buy a pack of like uh a hundred of them off amazon for maybe like 20 bucks you know you can just throw a, a handful of those packets in, in an ammo container in your safe and that's a great way to keep the humidity down as well uh, like as far as the knowing who's in your home and stuff like that like uh teaching like teaching kids especially like the the these basics about a gun uh like that goes it goes a long way like a, a lot of people a lot of people act like guns are some like super dangerous scary thing and they don't even want to talk about it with kids like they don't even want kids to play with like to have play guns or uh, you know toy guns or stuff like that like they want this there to be this like super scary stigma about guns all the time when proper education and training is really the the best uh cure for all of that yeah and i, I think the end goal is uh a healthy level of respect without fear i think that's <laughs> that's that's how i'd best describe the the point to get to um not fearing but but having a, a good level of respect Absolutely. Yeah. So, so talk about some of the, uh, like the basics with gun care. Like you, you talked about um, keeping, storing them in a, a good, like a dry location, but some of the, some of the basics for care and also for like practicing and, and getting the gun out and doing some shooting and getting comfortable with it. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I can start off with uh, maybe kind of like, the cleaning storage maintenance aspect of it 
touch on that real quick. And I'll just say that um, there are a lot of products out there, but in this day and age, there's also a lot of good information. So you can go on YouTube and, and find reviews on like, hey, I did this scientific trial and this this type of uh, oil is, is best for storing rifles and this is the best type for cleaning and this is the best type for lubricating or this is a good all around one. There, there's a, a great load of information out there in terms of uh, products to use for storing, cleaning, lubricating, that kind of thing. Um, as far as practicing goes, man, it, in, in this day and age, it can be tough. Like, depending on where you live, it, there might be, uh, it might be like an hour drive to an indoor gun range where you have to pay like 50 bucks for a half hour of shooting and that kind of thing. Um, so it's tough. It, um, ideally, you know, it, it's nice to, I, I just kind of grew up in an area where we, we'd have spots where they were just like public land with, with a backstop and a gravel pit. And you'd set up your targets or your cans or whatever you wanted to shoot, and you just went and shot. <laughs> I guess I was so, really lucky in that regard. I grew uh, up, you know, I grew up on a farm. And whenever, you know, if we want to do some shooting, we'd just go out in the backyard and set up stuff because, you know, you just got a field that goes for a quarter mile out this direction, and there's a tree line on the other side of it. And then on the other side of that tree line is another field that goes for another half mile. Like, there's nothing out there that, you know, <laughs> There's nothing out there. So you set up all your targets out in the field and you can just set up and side stuff in and do so all the I, you want. I will emphasize this to like people who are, are maybe just getting started. Um, make sure the land is public <laughs> or, or you have permission to use it. And also to like, you want to be shooting like against a backstop or against a hill there. You want there to be something that's going to stop that bullet. Um, if, if you have like a handful of trees and like there's some houses over on the other side, like don't, don't shoot there. Uh, make sure that you have a, a sufficient backstop or, or, a, a, or, or you're shooting up against a hill or, or something like that. Yeah, where, you'll uh, see some of those that uh, it's like a picture of somebody that's got this target and everything set up in their yard. And then like, you, Oh, on a wood fence. <laughs> yeah. And then when you take like a, you know, like the uh, the overhead view of it, you can see that like on the just on the other side of the fence is like a house and all kinds of other stuff. It's like, oh my god! I so, I I think, or maybe at least hope that most of those are a joke. <laughs> you know, I hope so, but at the uh, same time, as dumb as the average person is, it would not surprise me if those are. Yeah, least... well, I I can't remember if that it was. Uh, I think. I, I'm trying to remember who came up with this first, what, what it was like. Um, think, think about how dumb the average person is. Now realize that half the people are dumber than that. <laughs> I, I, think I can't remember was that was who that was. But, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. And that's... Yeah, so... And like shooting glass bottles and stuff like that. Like, that's not smart. That's like, that's stuff that they do in the movies, but that's really not smart. Uh, I don't... I mean, if you're looking for cheap targets too, like a lot of the times what we do is just like grab the recycling box and grab a thing of aluminum cans and like fill them with dirt so they don't fly around too much and, and shoot a bunch of these cans and then just load them up in the bag after you're done. It's a cheap, yeah, that's <laughs> easy little target if you're just looking for something to kind of plink around or get started with. Yeah, that's something I think people don't understand too is, uh, you know, you don't want to just you don't want to just shoot those things, especially if you're shooting it with a smaller caliber bullet, like a 22 or something, because, you know, you'll get some ricochet off of those things. Like, let's, you don't want to shoot metal, or you don't want to shoot glass bottles, because, you know, there's a chance yeah. of the glass exploding, or a ricochet. You don't want to just shoot a, an empty aluminum can. Like, you need to fill it up with dirt or something so that it, you know, it's got some weight to it, and it's going to actually have some, uh, something that's going to stop that bullet. You're not going to get ricochet or anything, you know, that you want to think about it because while like for you and I we've been around guns probably literally forever uh you know that's stuff that's just second nature because you know you, they're just the rules that you grew up with but for somebody yeah. who's new like they see the way it's done on movies and tv and you know just go out and start shooting 
shooting metal cans and glass bottles and end up with or rocks <laughs> yeah like glass shrapnel going don't, everywhere or... don't sh don't shoot a rock everybody yeah. oh my God. <laughs> uh the other one too is that, that there's a lot of good resources on is um shooting steel targets safely um if, if you're lucky enough to be at like an outdoor range that has a, a steel target set up or, or a friend has a steel target set up or or you have the resources to build your own um there's a lot of good information on how to do it uh, safely, or maybe I should say like reduced risk, because generally like shooting steel targets, there's always a, a little bit of a risk of getting hit with spall, even if you're doing everything right. But there's steps you can take as far as uh, what type of steel you're using, um, what type of rounds you're using, how you set up the targets, you know, are, are they uh, free to move? Or if they're not, they're, you know, you set them up at an angle, so it, deflects things downward and uh even the face of them if, if you shoot a target a long time you'll get those that pitting in there and that that can redirect around um so there's a lot of good resources to look at on on shooting steel safely do not ever um <laughs> just walk up uh like a few feet from a steel target and shoot it uh do do not do that ever bad bad choice <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean trying to maintain distance on anything that you're shooting at, especially with, uh, especially with like practice rounds or target rounds, that kind of stuff. Uh, you definitely want to try to make sure that you, you have a decent amount of space between you and your target. Like you don't want to be too close to anything you're shooting. You, yeah. Even if it's, if it's with a BB or a pellet gun, like, you know, yeah. that, that stuff is, that, that stuff may not kill you, but it can still hurt. And you want to make yeah. sure that you're, I mean, that's, my, my son likes to shoot his BB gun. At, he'll set up little targets and stuff out in the yard and, and he'll get out there and shoot. And we always make sure that we're setting it up where he's in a good position, where he's got something, you know, for a good backstop behind him, even though it's a BB gun. You know, we want to make sure that he's not going to get stray BBs flying off. It's going to shoot somebody's window out on the highway or something dumb. And then, you know, making sure that, uh, He's setting his targets up appropriately and he's got plenty of space or he's not getting any ricochet or anything, you know, bouncing back. Cause you know, the last thing I want is a, a red rider BB gun, you know, shoot your eye out situation. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was just gonna, just gonna say that. <laughs> uh, which so which I suppose ties into too, how uh, eye, eye protection, um, yeah, always a good idea um, that that spall. And when I talk about spall, um, for people who might be new to things. Uh, basically, the spall is just kind of uh, when a bullet deforms, it's kind of like the little metal pieces that are flying off of it. And that hot metal spall, um, you know, maybe it could, if you're shooting metal targets or, or shooting something, it's possible to get like a piece of spall on, on the arm or on the leg. And it, it's not fun. It, it might hurt. Uh, if you get it in the eye, you, you can really do some damage so i pro always always a good idea <laughs> and and i think very possibly even more important than that is hearing protection uh yes. I, yeah. when i was younger we we did a big shooting day we we loaded up a whole bunch of guns and we set up all these targets out in the middle of a big field and we did a whole bunch of shooting and none of us were hearing protection Oof. and i swear I had a ringing in my ear for three straight days. Like, I, you know, it was a lot of fun and we were shooting stuff and it was a blast. And for three days, I almost couldn't hear anything. It was just a steady ring. It was like, oh my God, like, why didn't I put earplugs in or something? Like, um, you know, it's like I used to be in the, in the construction world and the amount of guys that you would walk up to and speak in a normal speaking voice and get a, get a what? <laughs> or they, they give you a certain ear to, to speak into was was uh there's a lot of them um so yeah super uh super important uh to to wear that hearing hearing protection and the other thing i maybe like tie into that a little bit too is that um ear plugs uh generally will reduce decibels more than ear muffs uh so it's something to be aware of like depending on what you're shooting, like earmuffs might be plenty sufficient, but if you're shooting like, if you're shooting like a 308 with a big old muzzle brake on there, maybe you need um, earplugs instead of earmuffs, or maybe you even want to go like 
nothing wrong with going uh, dual hearing protection too. Um, so all hearing protection is not created equal. <laughs> Depending on what you're shooting, you might want to opt for uh, one or the other. Yep, yep. Very good. Got anything else you want to talk about? I think we're uh, I think we're about up on time here. I've got some other stuff I've actually got to do here in a little bit, and I feel like we've covered a lot of like the real important stuff. You got anything else you want to kind of touch on? Um, uh, maybe real quick, I'll add um, home defense if you're looking for something for that. Uh, know your house and, and think about like, do I have to worry about over penetration? Um, like, like for me personally, like on, on the first floor, it's, uh, I know where everything is and, and that's not a concern for me. I have my own house. Like if you live in an apartment building, the big concern with over penetration, um, do I want to just protect my house? Do I have land I need to protect? Um, do I want something that can be home defense and concealed carry? Um, maybe you got to make some compromises there. Uh, it's it's better than not having anything. I would not take Joe Biden's advice and just buy a shotgun. <laughs> uh, more ammo capacity is generally better, especially in a, a life or death situation. And if you buy a break action, you get two pump action, you might have five or six or a semi-auto and man it uh, they're effective and and they can be used very effectively i would steer away from that um great all-around rifle just for everything if you're just looking for like home defense hunting shooting you could go with an ar it's not a bad bad choice if you're looking for i have 600 or 700 dollars i, I want to buy one thing that can do almost everything not a bad, not a bad choice. Um, surplus stuff. Uh, uh, there's a lot of cool surplus stuff that's still sort of floating around, but prices are going up and they make it very tough to get new cool, like collector surplus stuff in nowadays. So if you have any interest in that now, I would say as long as you do a little bit of research and don't get completely ripped off, if you buy now, in five or 10 years, you'll be like, man, I'm glad I bought that. <laughs> for instance, like a case of Mosins, you could buy like 20 for two grand. I, I used to hear, uh, you know, back in, in the, you know, early nineties, late eighties kind of thing at, at gun shows. And now people are selling them for like 400, 500 bucks pop. Same thing with SKSs and, and some of those uh, cheap Chinese AKs. So if you're into the collector stuff at all and, and you have some money to throw around, as long as you're not getting ripped off and, and kind of trust the source, buy, buy now. It will go up. I guarantee you that. Regardless yeah, of finding, it a, finding a, a source that you trust, I think that's important. I, uh, I had, I'd actually found a website uh, for ammo that I had some, some of my like crypto trading that I had done, but I just had uh, like Dogecoin went up stupid. And so I, I catch some of that in and it's uh, you know I put 20 bucks on it and ended up with 200 so you know I got you know I got some extra play money using your using your doge coin profits to buy ammo might be the most libertarian thing I've ever heard. well see I, I was trying to I couldn't find ammo anywhere around here like none of the gun show gun shops had any and at the gun shows it was like outrageous uh so I had you know some of my my doge coin money and I found a website and I was like, all right, if it's a total ripoff, this is play money as far as I'm concerned anyway. Like, I'll live and learn. Uh, and so I made an order. Three days later, it was here, nice packaging and everything. I was like, all right, like, this is, they're legit. So, you know, I, that's, that's where I've been ordering my ammo from. And, like, finding, finding a place that is good that you trust. And, like, we've got, we've got a couple good gun stores here in town that like I can go to and they'll let me hold it and look at it and and I can think about it and you know if I want to buy it they'll even hold it for like if I if I know I want to buy it but I'm not sure if I want to do it today or you know they'll hold it for me so that I can come back uh, like you know finding a I think uh, buying online not necessarily isn't a, a bad thing but if you can find a good place that you can go and actually you know meet with people and get to yeah. know make those connections like 
learning how to trust people in in that industry uh i think that goes a long way and i'll I'll say too for the for the ammo side of things um one good way to go about it is is if you don't have um a local source or or place where you can get reasonably priced stuff or they don't have it in um there are like websites you can go to that compile all the different prices uh, like ammoseek.com is one and you can sort by price per round uh buying ammo on the internet personally i would only buy new none of the remanufactured stuff so they'll, they'll sell stuff that says remanufactured or there'll be reloads i i would steer clear of that you might save a little money but you're more likely to have squib rounds and stuff like that but sites like that like ammoseek.com you can sort by like new brass case manufacture if you want Sort yeah, of by price if you're, per getting, if you're getting reloads, source that local and get it from somebody you trust. Like, don't, don't really be, trust. Like, don't be buying that shit online. <laughs> I I don't think they're, man. Even even most of the people I trust, it's, uh, I I'd be hesitant to shoot reloads that weren't like my own personal reloads. <laughs> but the other thing that's nice about like AmmoSeek.com is you can see like reviews of the site. So it's like some of the bigger names like LAX Ammunition or. Palmetto State Armory, um, they'll they'll have reviews on there, so you know which ones are not a scam, kind of thing, and the shipping and handling price. So, not a bad route to go. Uh, do not assume that your local gun shop has the best price on ammo if you're not familiar with what typical ammo prices are. Some of these small shops order it off of like Gun Broker, uh, and then they'll charge up the price another like twenty five percent, and you'll be paying like. I've seen like $30 plus for a box of steel case nine mil at, at small shops. It's insane. And meanwhile, on the internet, you can get a box of new brass case for like a little over 20. Yeah. So, yeah. 20 bucks. Be, be aware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for coming on. And uh, I think this will be my Monday episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this for the Monday episode. I, I like this. Uh, so, <laughs> Thanks for coming on. We will definitely try to do this again. And yep, I, can, I can talk all day on guns, so <laughs> plenty more material. To for anybody cover. listening, if you got any questions about guns or uh, you know in particular stuff in particular that you that you're not sure about or want to know about or maybe have questions about, hit me up. Hit Steve up. We'll come back. We'll, we'll do a you know a ask me anything type of thing where we'll answer all your questions and and cover the stuff that maybe we just. Uh, as being two people that have been around guns for most of our lives, you know, it's stuff that we might not think about, but it might be questions that you would have that, uh, you know, aren't at the top of our list of that stuff because it's stuff that we take for granted. I mean, I know for me, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff with guns that, uh, that I probably take for granted that having kids and, and teaching my kids, uh, I got to kind of re relearn some of that stuff. And, you know, so there, you know, we all have blind spots. And so if there are questions about stuff, hit us up and let us know. And in the meantime, I'll be back on Wednesday to talk about uh, a completely not fun topic. And I'm not going to spoil it because it is definitely not going to be fun, but I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> have a good one, everybody. All right, thank you. Yeah.